and welcome to this month's edition of the Players' Voice, an RPA podcast. I am your host, Ethan Waller, and today we're diving into the intriguing subject of player businesses. I'm delighted to be joined today by Northampton and Leicester player development manager, Jamie Bethel, and former Harlequin Saracens and Northampton player, Joe Gray, owner of the Maya Master Recovery Business. Gents, a warm welcome to you both. Uh, thank you for joining us on the pod. Joe, great to see you and thank you for coming on. How are things? Yeah, good, mate. Going really well. So busy, but um, yeah, good. Can't complain. So you were in the uh, the England camp doing some throwing stuff. Are you joining them for the rest of this World Cup preparation? So yeah, I'm in for the preparation. So I'm in a couple of days a week at the minute um, doing specialist throwing coaching with the hookers and then helping out the days I'm in um, with anything else they need. But uh, yeah, it's been really good. Really interesting. Good sort of first month. And um, then I'm helping all the way up to the World Cup when they go off to France. So oh, Amazing. I mean, you've... Um... I think it's safe to say you've had a, a, a very, well, I, I mean, we, we'll get to the nitty gritty details of it, but from the outside, it, it seems like you've had a pretty smooth transition into in, into retirement and coming into the sort of, you know, quote unquote, real world. It, it, has it been as smooth as it seemed from the outside perspective? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's been pretty smooth, but I'd say uh, the only reason it's smooth is the preparation I put in um, pre-retiring. So I was fully aware from a young age, I basically got offered my pro contract at Saints um, on a Thursday. They were writing up the contract over the weekend, sent it me on Monday. And on the Saturday, I had a career-ending injury that could have lost my leg from the knee down, dislocated, did every ligament you could do, meniscus, cartilage, the whole works. Foot was under my armpit. And um, from that moment, I was very aware that you're one tackle away from from it all going. So uh, from the early stage, from when I got back, sort of two years later to playing at Saints, uh, I was really proactive in doing things outside of rugby just in case anything like that happened again throughout my career that I was in as good a position as, as I could be. So I was really proactive to, to do it. And thankfully it transitioned nicely out um, with an opportunity that came up in the coaching world for me to sort of step into alongside my business as well. So Amazing. It's almost like you knew exactly the route I was going to go down with the preparation <laughs> stuff, which is brilliant because we're, we're going to come on to that in a, <laughs> we're going to come on to that a little bit later in, in, in some more detail. But Jamie, just when you see someone who has, you know, as, as Joe said there, he's prepped himself from more or less the word go. I mean, for you as a player development manager, that makes life unbelievably easy. But I suppose having someone like Joe as, as an example to show younger players, just how important is that and how helpful is that for you? Yeah, it's really important. You see the lads in the club, the lads can physically see and, and talk to as an example of kind of getting it done whilst they're still delivering on the pitch. Um, I think over recent years as well, you've seen that the lads who have got things going outside of rugby um, are usually up there with the, the good, really good performers as well. Um, so I think them seeing that in real life is so much more powerful than me pecking the head about it whilst they're eating lunch, which is what I normally, you normally see me doing day to day. Um, and also just to, to drop little little nuggets of, of wisdom here and there, rather than a kind of a, a sit down, which we can do in a more kind of formal setting, but just little questions that might come up, which I know is, is super powerful at, at, uh, at clubs, um, especially where players feel like they've got the environment where they're happy talking about what they've going on outside of rugby and just encouraging lads and making it a lot more normal and accessible um, is really good, especially when it's lads that people look up to. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely been a shift because I remember at the start of my career, and I imagine it's probably pretty similar at the start of yours, Joe, that it was almost... 
Groundhog's probably the wrong phrase, but it, it definitely wasn't seen as, as much of a priority as it is now. And I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a massively positive change that we're now entering a space where that active uh, development is encouraged. But I remember at the start of my career, when I started doing my uni degree alongside rugby, I was almost not encouraged, but I was, you know, given a little tap on the shoulders saying you might want to just keep that one under wraps just because if they think you're not concentrating on rugby when you're in that those academy years, uh, they, they always get a bit funny about it. But, you know, now, like we say, luckily that that dynamic has hugely shifted. Um, and, you know, the likes of Saracens probably paved the way on that in, the, in how important they saw development and putting in those development days. But we can come to that a little bit later. Um, but... We'll, we'll jump in, Joe, because um, I'm, I'm desperate to talk about my master because uh, I've obviously I've, I've kept up with the journey from from a distance anyway from from when you started. But the beginning to the story, I think, is is brilliant. And I think it's become one of the talking points as to, to I don't know, maybe maybe it was a big help as to how it grew. But for those of those of the listeners that don't know about the story, give us it from the from the start. Yeah, so basically, um, I've had a lot of injuries. I obviously started talking about a major one early on, but I've had 15 operations today, a lot of time on the sideline and I was injured. Again, I'd actually had a Bennett fracture on my thumb. So I was out doing loads of running and I got Achilles tendonitis while I was running. Um, I'd actually, through the RPA, um, finished a carpentry on-site course. I've done two years of carpentry training uh, to be able to fit out my house and if I wanted to go into property and things. Um, so I was actually fitting my kitchen at the time. I'd had a treatment called shockwave therapy on my Achilles earlier that week, which basically wax it really hard to numb it and allow you to carry on training. But it was off in London and I could only get it every two weeks. And I was basically didn't want to finish fitting the kitchen because it was taking ages and I was on a hard bit. So I had my jigsaw out and work and I was looking at my jigsaw and I was like, it's a very similar process to this whacking mechanism I went and had treatment with. So instead of doing the kitchen, I started dismantling my jigsaw. I welded a stool leg onto it at the end. I basically took the connection out where the, where the blade goes in and connected this stool leg and then used it on my calf and Achilles. And it was like identical to a treatment I just had in 40s in central London. So I was like, I'm a genius. I've absolutely killed this. So I took it into training the next day at Quinn's. It's bright yellow, like offensively loud, like my years bleed loud. Uh, went in the changing room, started using it. As you can imagine, rugby changing room, 60 lads, see me pull out a yellow jigsaw, start using it. This was before a massage gun was a, was a thing, so no one had seen it. Um, and I got absolutely abused, as you can imagine, um, destroyed. I then went out running, and as I'm walking across the pitch, like 200 meters from the changing room, I can hear this in the changing room, and I wander in, and they're all using it on their backs and their legs, and I'm like, crazy, this is mental, this is unbelievable. So Sinclair pulls some cash out of his wallet, and he was like, crazy, I'm taking this home, I need it in my life, so he took me a couple hundred quid, and my jigsaw's worth nowhere near that, so I was like, you can have it, that's fine. So on the way home, I picked up another from B&Q, made myself another. By the end of the week, I had like seven orders from Lance and I was like spray painting them on my table. I was like writing a logo on them and um, making them up. And then my dad is a, was an engineer and he was literally like, you're going to get sued for this. He's like, cannot do this. So he sat down and we discussed like quick release heads and different sizes and developed it. But that was the initial sort of um, seed of the first product. And um, yeah, it's sort of like wildfire around the club. So I thought there must be a, a space for this. Was it literally as quick as that from, from the day you bought it in and obviously Six giving you that cash? Was it then in your head you went, right, I can make some cash out of this? Because obviously initially it was just to ease some pain and help you get through training, continue doing rugby, that path that you know you're on. But then as soon as you get thrown a bit of cash, the opportunity came. Was it very much a light bulb moment? 
Yeah, it's a bit of a light bulb moment. I was like, wow, if like these are pro athletes that we can get all sorts of different things and England internationals asking me to make them there, I was like, there must be, this must be a thing that I could do. So then I started researching manufacturers and looking how much it would be. And it was at a point where literally I asked a manufacturer around the UK and it was insanely expensive. It was like 450 quid for them to make massages. And then I was like, well, everyone does it in, in Asia and China. So then I Google translate my email and then send it at like midnight before I went to bed. And then I have to wait to the morning for see if anyone's replied. I was trying to find manufacturers and then, um, basically found a few that would do me a sample and then my missus was basically like she was a big wig in the city she was youngest ever board member and msc sarchi she's been like right hand man to a few ceos in business and she was like why would you spend all this time just selling a single massager thing you're making she was like i run marathons i do crossfit i get injured all the time and i don't know anything about recovery i don't know about cool downs i don't know about rehab i don't know about any protocols whatsoever and you get insight to all of this information on a daily basis that you take for granted so then we sat down and brainstormed out my master and from day one we wanted it to be the home of sports recovery so rather than a single product it had several and rather than just the product it had an education in the background that you'd actually learn how to recover properly so that's when we really sat down and got into the nitty-gritty of the business sort of plan and what we want to do um and then even then it was like probably six months nine months later till we made our first purchase order and no manufacturer would make me a massager so i had to get 500 jigsaws without a blade attachment sent and then hand make them in the spare room which is about 20 minutes or so of a massager which was an absolute all over once i actually started doing it but <laughs> that was god cool. yeah that's chaos i mean it's 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 always something that I've been interested in, in not necessarily the, re- the recovery space side of things. I mean, it, that is as part of the job, but more just how you get, because I hear lads talk all the time and I hear a lot of people talk and they sit and they go, I've got this idea of an invention. I think it's going to be brilliant. It might not be recovery. It might be, I don't know, something to feed lads popcorn while they sit and watch your telly. Regardless, you hear these things and people have these brilliant ideas, but when it comes into actually the manufacturing space, there's not really any, there's no guys to it. You see people trying to do guys for loads of things, but just how difficult was it to actually find someone who would manufacture all these things for you on, on, on such a high scale? Because after that 500, 500 piece order in your spare room, I imagine that was sort of the, the tipping point where you had to find someone to, to try and get everything squared away. Yeah, definitely. I think it also... Um, coincided with like the moment in time where massage guns then start to become uh, available and people start to understand what they were. So as I was selling the 500 and they were going, all of a sudden the manufacturers I'd reached out to that wouldn't develop it. Well, oh, actually, now we might look into what you were doing because there seems to be a market. So then I could send my design, send what I wanted each end end to do, and then it became easier to sample. But it is, like you say, there's no guide to to doing it how you find manufacturers what to do it was just a trial and error basis and i've definitely done some purchase orders which came and were not what the sample was and you have to sort of figure that stuff out along the way but um ultimately they've got the infrastructure to be exceptionally good at what they do and we sort of we've got a lot of different products with a lot of different manufacturers from asia to the uk to over in france so there's a few different areas we now get stuff made but um yeah it was an interesting learning curve but we've done it now for about three years properly so you sort of get better each time you do it and you understand it more so and obviously now looking at your your product list and looking at the website and how how well the business has expanded 
how long did it take you to to comfortably make those expansions? You hear a lot about people sort of making a leap of faith and, and throwing everything all the all at the wall at once. Was it a gradual stepping stone for you? Obviously, like you say, you wanted to have that full rehab educational piece, which I think is brilliant to share with the general public who aren't necessarily as aware of that side of things. But in terms of the products, did you decide to start with quite a few or is it just massage guns and then slowly adding? You know, so we started with about four from day one. So we had compression, massage, EMS. Um, we might have even had occlusion from day one, but we started with four products, I remember, and now we've got a suite of about 12. Um, but then what we found was we did a lot of on the ground. So we'd be at races and expos and shows and go and visit clubs and get a lot of feedback all the time. So then whenever people fed back, we'd make a change um, and make it better, basically, each iteration. Also, we'd get a lot of pushback of be like, this is this is amazing, but it's a bit out of my price range, or I'd like a bit smaller one from the gym. So then naturally it sort of expanded that instead of one massage gun, we had a larger and a smaller one that just points to actually hit different people. And the same with compression. Some people were like, I do ultras all the time. I'm camping on sites where I'm running around the country and having a portable one that's battery powered would be awesome if you could. So then we had two different models of that. And naturally it sort of had different price range for different um, consumers, which naturally broaden the broaden the scope but then a lot of it's just feedback from from athletes and and the general public so um we're getting lots of questions about oh can you use your product with massage lotion or muscle balm so then we decided to make our own to coincide with it and then we're getting lots of questions and we're doing lots of blogs and um things about cold water immersion so then we've been looking into that for a while anyway so we developed our cold water immersion range and things and naturally it just sort of came out but definitely from day one we wanted a larger product range but it's just gradually built over the last sort of two three years that feedback thing i think is is huge i see so many companies that that have started and failed who have just gone down the route of we'll just go down social media marketing that'll be us we'll be able to square it away on instagram facebook ads whatever you might be and whilst that's a hugely powerful tool like you say there is nothing more powerful than getting feedback from the people that are doing it because it's so easy to be in your own sort of world when you're you're doing these things because it's your you know it's your baby it's your it's something that you've put your heart and soul into so naturally you're going to be a bit blinkered on stuff that might be a little bit you know not necessarily faulty but stuff that might not be optimal for a certain group of people who are going to be buying this so that that feedback level is is massive did you find that you you got a lot of that sent to you naturally or did you go out actively seeking it we got um just a lot again most weekends if i was playing saturday i'd be at a trade show race sunday a lot of you'd be there saturday a lot of it was just generally fed back in them live moments we did get feedback over email like love your product it's great if you could do this but even like down to the massager it was like loud as anything offensively loud but i was like no one cares they're treating themselves and it's fine but then once you got feedback they're like oh i love it but i'd love to be able to use it while the kids are in bed but it sounds like i'm doing building work so it wakes the kids or i like it but i can't use it in the gym because everyone looks at me because it's so loud so then maybe now we've got the quietest massager which is awesome it'll make a noise but same with our heads like people are like oh it'd be great if it's like the blade you get like a graston so then we developed a head that's a Graston and, and, and it was all fed back naturally, um, which is great because as you say, then it's actually what the consumer wants. And one of our taglines is like created for athletes by athletes. So that's a big one we sort of use. For the players, by the players. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think uh, it's, it's awesome that you've built it, like Beef said, kind of 
from the ground up and the focus has been on just creating an outstanding product based on your experience your feedback and just kind of a consistent loop it sounds like of how can we make this better let's go and do it uh, and it sounds like from how this all started you're quite a kind of problem practical problem solver um in terms of and sounds like you know you said your, your dad was an engineer as well um it sounds like if you were to get some feedback on the product, you, you've got a good idea of how to go and implement it and improve it. Is the other side of that, was there a stage when you thought, you know what, I've got a really good product, really confident in that here, but perhaps the, the sales and the marketing and the kind of other aspect of it is something to work on? Or is that where you said your your wife Lottie kind of comes into that? Yeah, so that's definitely where Lottie comes into it. I'm 100% product-based, so... I, I 100% believe we, we wouldn't launch a product unless I believe it's the best in its class and I believe that on all of it. And an example is our muscle and joint balm. There's loads of muscle and joint balms out there. We could have white labeled it. We worked with, um, with scientists to formulate it. It took 49 iterations and I didn't do it until everybody thought it was like, basically like putting deep heat on you, but totally natural and like unbelievable. And it took me ages to do that. It was over a year. But I'm one of the people that like, if we're going to do it, I don't just want to jump on something. I want it to be really good and the feedback be really good. Lottie is incredible. She was like head of marketing at companies and stuff. So she understands brand and how to build a story and then how we're going to scale um, in the actual business side. But also like what no one tells you about a startup life um, and starting your own business, that you have to literally wear about eight different hats and figure it out along the way and you just learn. And what's really good is that me and Lottie are both really hard working which underpins everything in business in professional sport it's like if you're hard working you can you can figure stuff out and there were points in the early days where we're in the website uploading creating our web page we've never done that in our lives we're then doing facebook ads we've never done that in our lives and you're youtube and figuring it out along the way and now we're a bit bigger we have people in our team that specialize in them areas but um, a lot of it was just figuring it out along the way um, but Lottie was definitely the business side and growing the brand and I was definitely the product side but I think they came together really nicely when you have a very good product you have someone understand the brand and then you can merge it yeah it sounds like a, an unbelievable match to be honest Joe um, how did you actually manage that from a kind of relationship level because it sounds like Lottie's got a lot going on professionally you're obviously you know hard working professional athlete at the time and if you start up a business together at home then it might not leave a lot of time left for personal time um is that something you spoke about up front or is that another jump in and let's work it out as we go it was a bit of jumping and let work work it out and then also right in the mix a lot of got pregnant and we had a baby right at the start so that was another little little spanner in the works which was um, <laughs> that wasn't in the business plan yeah it wasn't in the business and it was, uh, we definitely spoke about kids, but then the business came and she fell pregnant at the same sort of time. So it's like all happening at once. And we're like, oh, wow. Um, but what actually happened was Lottie's a machine. So three weeks post birth, she's in the office working with Otis, our little boy. Like she's an absolute machine. So she was just cracking on. And, and in terms of relationship side, it's, I've heard loads of people be like, how do you do it with your wife? Like that is ridiculous. But I actually couldn't imagine not doing it with her because days you're stressed or days you have a massive pitch or there's a great opportunity you're stressed and excited together so rather than one of you she'd ring me and be like i've got to stay late tonight i'm staying till midnight to get this done for tomorrow i totally understand that because i'm like it's a huge opportunity tomorrow if i wasn't i'd be like just come home what are you doing like why would you waste time why wouldn't you come here and be with i think you have you you have the highs and the lows together. There's been loads of highs, loads of lows, but you can actually manage it together really well. Um, 
And ultimately with our little boy as well, we've just brought him along to the ride. So we've had him at trade shows, races, he's running around with the kids. We've had him along the whole time um, joining in. So it's been a, a full family sort of effort. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one in terms of relationship. We do find ourselves now talking about it all the time. So even on a date night, we're talking about how good this was, or what we could do to improve. So we definitely have to manage that a bit and be like, okay, we're not going to talk about that for the next time. That's awesome. I say I speak to a few players, and that's something I think, and I don't know if this is just human nature or if it's something that is a bit more amplified in players, but it seems that a lot of lads start businesses with, you know, other people. Um, with that so you and your brother beef, or you know, you think of Josh and Brad with social or the Matabasi brothers and a few others with businesses that are starting up kind of this year. Is had you considered before starting this that you wanted to go into your own space in terms of starting your own business and potentially with Lottie considering the, the skill set she's got or was it all based on this kind of eureka moment it seems that then you know just kind of went with the flow and, and put some graft in so we definitely spoke about our own business so we're talking about well I'd, I'd spoke about my own business post rugby so a lot of you definitely was going to go in London aimed to be a CEO of a big business and that was her aim. She always wanted to do that. Um, and she was on a really good trajectory over the sort of six years or so she was in the city. She was doing incredibly. I always would have liked to do coaching, but I knew it was a bit of a golden ticket out of rugby. So then I was looking into maybe create my own coaching camps or different things around that. Um, and I always had a bit of an idea of like, it'd be cool to do your own business, but I don't know what would come along and, and do that. And then it was a bit of a eureka moment that that happened with the jigsaw into a massager then Lottie coming in and being like, why don't you do this? You've got all this inside. And if we, if I was doing the business, I'd do this. And like, I don't have a clue about business. So it just sort of aligned really well. Um, and then we both decided to take the plunge and put our savings in and go for it. And that was sort of the start. And then weirdly, with Otis being born, she obviously had a chunk of six months maternity, which really let her get into the business like basically fully with a newborn, but like she was in and enjoying it and really finding it grow at that point. And I was still playing, but then on evenings and weekends when I wasn't, I was in it. Um, and then it got to a point where Lottie said, I'm going to quit my job in the city and I'll take a low wage here, but we'll grow it and go go from there. And, and we agreed and that's what that's what she did. And she's been full-time on the business now for two years. So That's awesome. I mean, it sounds like a, a hell of a journey and it, it's, it's really good to, to hear how it all started. What would... Uh, what was your Eureka moment, Beef? Uh, for which for which thing, mate? You choose. <laughs> uh, for the butcher's yard. So I've just I've just for your uh, just opened a barbecue school uh, with a good friend of mine. So do a sort of teaching all the low and slows, the Camados, the the Smoky Mountains, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we were just basically two two bigger set lads who just really enjoyed food. He taught me everything I wanted to know about smoking meat i taught him everything he needs to know about cooking neapolitan pizzas and we sort of we met in the middle and had a had a great friendship anyway and we'd, we'd always spoken about doing the occasional event um we we did a few uh pop-ups at, at my old restaurant in worcester um just cooking outside over fire and then he had an opportunity um his butchers basically they live on this um where the butcher's located it's on this uh plot of land and they basically had an empty barn just outside and they said, that's not doing anything. He was in there every single day because he lived around the corner. And he said, well, look, I've got a good friend of mine. We've done some events. We're actually looking to sort of get spread the word about live fire and, and get as many people into it as possible. 
uh, and they basically went, they were such good friends and they went, you can have it for free. Give us a couple of bits of, of the bookings um, every now and again. Buy all your meat from us and your produce from the veg barn just next door. And you can basically, we just want to help you grow and we want to help it all go together. So the ease was probably the the light bulb moment for me, Jamie, to be perfectly honest. Um, it was something that just happened to sit perfectly in our laps and it's an opportunity for us to grow it at our own pace because we're not having to worry about the overheads. We can truly invest in putting out the best classes getting the best product in and making sure the message we want to spread and the education we want to give is really the highest quality it can be and hopefully you saw that yesterday in some capacity um you definitely ate everything so i'm taking that as a positive <laughs> oh, it was yesterday was unbelievable it was um one of the the big perks of my job um working a sunday was was terrible mate um but no, I, th- I thought it was awesome. And I think to people listening at this, it might kind of sound like you got quite lucky there. You know, you, you've you've found somewhere that you can have kind of minimal overheads and kind of an opportunity presents itself. Uh, but knowing you a bit better, I know that's because you put, well, whether it's deliberate effort or you're just naturally a very personable person, but you put a lot of time into, you know, networking or getting on with people and, and making the most of, of any doors that can be opened for you and, and you do that for other people as well. Um, is that something? I think really. Oh, sorry. No, go on. Go on. I was just going to ask, is that something that you have been aware of? Because it is something that rugby does offer, I think, is a lot of kind of opportunities to meet new people who potentially can help with things in the future. Um, is that something you've always thought, I'm going to put some effort into this because it might come back in the future? Or is it something you've just found natural along the way? coincidental because that's also something I was going to ask Joe so we can sort of answer this as a two which is perfect um, it's like we knew what we are doing it's, it's a mix of both I mean realistically I never would have met Phil had I not opened two businesses before so I wouldn't have had been able to exchange information with him in the first place with the pizza stuff had I not opened the pizza business with my brother um, so that probably our relationship never would have started there and then we didn't have an opportunity to really give it a trial of fire excuse the pun um, if I hadn't opened the sandwich shop because we used that as a base to do our first few events and make sure that we knew what we were doing and the people were interested in the products that was cooked over fire and more importantly, learn how to do it themselves. So, I mean, they both came from, from businesses I, I'd set up and then they sort of landed into this, but the network you can make in rugby is is huge. I mean, you you, you don't realise how you're actually being trained for it. I see lads do moan and, and sigh when they have to go into the boxes on when they're not playing on a match day. And I sit there and I go, lads, you're meeting people who have a lot of money, meaning they are successful in what they do. Just chew their ears off. Half of going out there and chatting to people is figuring out what you don't want to do as much as it is what you do want to do. So just go and have a conversation with them. They are more than willing to help you because you are you know, Steve, the Saints player, they are desperate to help you. And that's going to, you know, people will give their time. They'll give you an ear. They'll give you a conversation. Or sometimes they'll give you considerably more. But use that reputation and use that power while you've got it. Because once you retire, you know, you're very, it's, it's a sad fact, but you're very quickly forgotten in the game once it's once it's out, unless you've done that network and have built that base beforehand. I don't know what, what your experience has been with it, Joe, if it's been similar. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely similar. I think what you said is spot on about we've all been there when you're young in the ACAD and you've got to a box or you're um, new to sort of rugby and you're like, oh, God, I don't want to go in there and talk to random people that I don't know. And I used to be exactly that. Um, but then as you understand who you're talking to, like you say, they're successful in their own businesses. And, and as you say, some of them are very wealthy individuals as well that 
could be useful for investments down the line or things. But actually, once you just get talking to them and understand how they love rugby, how it's their passion, just like it is yours, you actually have a relationship straight away around the thing you're there to do. Um, and then also just they can become amazing connections in the future. So um, DHL are one of the main sponsors here for the for all of my business. I've used DHL for for delivery of our products because I met someone from DHL. They gave me a discounted rate because I was a player and it was just someone I met in a box, but actually helped early days send our products out, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's um, a huge part and the network that we can give you is, is incredible. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think as well, like, it's not necessarily just the network from outside, I say outside of the game. It's not just necessarily the fans, the sponsors, but utilizing the network of players as well is massive. You know, as we say, people are there to see players, people follow you on social media, people will see you in the street and know who you are. It's just as important to be able to use the the players in your club, players in other clubs, and 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 help spread the word about what your business is. And I suppose for for yourself, Joe, I imagine you use the Quinns boys quite a lot at the start to, to help promote everything. And then naturally that's then growing throughout the premiership because it's a snowball effect once it starts, isn't it? Definitely. And I have to say like, obviously we're a very privileged and unique situation that one of my close friends is Danny Cow, One of my best mates is Chris Robshaw and they're incredible rugby players, but they're unbelievable blokes. So like all of the people who have done helped us with videos and content and images for our website and stuff are just my mates who said, yeah, I'll come for an afternoon at the gym and do a photo shoot. So Danny, Danny is a machine, mate. He's done way more than I could have ever asked for. He's tricked out every time there's a Black Friday sale or something. He comes for another photo shoot. He's unbelievable. Chris Robshaw's the same. Um, so they're just amazing and they're just good people. Ultimately, I rugby is full of good people um, and we're all happy to help anyone in any way we can so um, I've been very lucky that I get to use use some unbelievable players like Marcus Smith has came and done photo shoots with us which helps push the brand and and things like that it's just yeah there's a gr- they're a great group as we know in each team but, um, and it's also really useful that they're famous and they've got a great um, great social media following so <laughs> Always helpful. Always helpful in that scenario. Um, and I guess we, we you spoke about it briefly before, just at the start of the story of Maya Master. And obviously, it was that RPA course that then put you into the, the carpentry stuff and doing your kitchen. And then, boom, Maya Master's born. It's sort of a butterf- butterfly effect. But do you think that this would have happened had the, the RPA game line program not been in place? Yeah, it's a tough one. Because as you say, I, I did my carpentry course through... The RPA and Ben McGregor at the time was my um, my rep, and he was unbelievable. He helped me find the course. He helped me find it for evenings I could do because most of them were daytimes because they're apprentice style, and, and I couldn't. Most of them you had to be on site to get certified. He found one with a big warehouse near Epsom that was where I trained up. So it's quite a unique course that he managed to find for me. So that was a huge part of me developing my master. So I wouldn't have developed it without the broken down jigsaw and I wouldn't be doing my kitchen never I've not done that so I do think it's a huge huge point but even after that um, Ben Ben was my um, rep for basically the whole time and he was great in terms of just connecting you to people that have done similar except their businesses and you could sort of bounce ideas off or even if oh you, you've got your accounts coming up like have you spoke to blah 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 they might have an accountant because they've done their own business in this space so he's very useful for for, um, for information and connections, he was great. And, and as I said, I, I don't think it would have started purely because of the RPA, but there was definitely another branch that I could have gone into property development and used my carpentry skills to do that post-career, or I did my coaching courses and now I'm coaching 
in the champ and in England, but I, I wouldn't have done them as easily without the RPA helping me. So there's definitely, yeah, it's been incredibly helpful for me. Yeah, I think it's it's huge that the young players just get there, get stuck into as much as possible. You never know what the future is going to hold. You never know, as you say, how long it's going to last. And, and hearing how proactive you were from the word go makes you sort of imagine for Jamie an absolute a PDM's absolute wet dream. But it's it's you know it's it's like you say there's there's many options, but also you never know what could snowball from that that first interaction. Um, Jamie, anything you want to add from the from the game line program, mate? Anything that you've seen uh, recently from from players that's made you think we're heading in the right direction? I think, like you've said, that there seems to have been a bit of a, a change in terms of lads' willingness to be open to each other about what they're doing outside of it, and then also open with. And it's, you know, I think clubs and people and, and us in the clubs are also learning more about how we now support lads and understand the demands of them as a player and also with what courses they're taking on or what experience they're or linking them up with, with people that might be suitable to help them in future with areas they're interested in. And I think something which is more accessible now is is courses which are a little bit shorter or uh you know the perception that work experience doesn't need to be a month solid of going someone every day but if you were to spend one two three days a season out meeting people seeing what things are like then like you said earlier beef it's a, it's a massive thing to start understanding actually i don't ever want to do that again and it might just point you in a slightly different direction or have a different conversation and you know taking things from this that just well, I'd love every player to get as much as they can from the game, whether that's financially, whether that's um, in terms of courses, education, networking, and just whether they have the most unbelievable career anyone's ever had or they leave the game after senior academy or whatever it is, but they've got the most that they can out of the game. And I think sometimes you just don't know where things are going to go. Um, and even as for someone that, that never played professionally, if, if you'd have asked me when I was you know, younger, what do you want to do then? It's a very hard question to answer. Um, so I think having an understanding that if you typically have got to professional level of rugby, you've put a hell of a lot into it by that point. There's a hell of a lot of a buildup of an identity around that. A lot of your conversations are probably about rugby, how it's going, about injuries, about your next game. If you haven't actually had many conversations about other things or experienced it, it's difficult to answer that question. Um, so it's been good to see lads we're more willing just to go and spend a day or two somewhere and not necessarily going okay I need to do this whole four year university course but I can do this um, and that's been that's been something that has been really positive and then has led to them going actually I had a chat with this fella and that really interests me um, and that's been something that I, I do hope continues and you can see it now snowballing between the lads because they'll talk to each other about it and then that'll kind of have a bit of a, a bit of a, of a ripple effect, um, which has been great. Brilliant. Well, on that note, I think it's probably a good place for us to to wrap this up. Gents, thank you so much for giving up the time and coming to chat with us. Jamie, I mean, I'll see you in a couple of days at the club anyway, mate. So it's not a big goodbye from us. But Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck with the World Cup preparations. And I hope my master continues to grow at the rate that it is now. And listeners, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you've been listening to The Player's Voice. As always, we do want to hear from you. So if you have any topics, any guests that you'd like to see, just tweet us using hashtag The Player's Voice. But until next time, thanks again for listening. Thank you to our guests and see you later. Cheers. All the best. <laughs>